All right, we have been preaching a sermon series on Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And as you've heard, Paul's addressing some issues within the community, some disunity, some unity, some things that are happening in the church context. And now we hear a very specific example about why Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. I'm actually going to read all of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6 because I want to have you hear the whole context of what's going on in these two chapters. You can follow along on the screens in front of you, or if you'd like to, you can open up the Pew Bibles or even pull it up on a Bible app on your phone, whatever is best for you. Listen now to God's word. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even found among pagans. For a man is living with his father's wife and you are arrogant. Should you not rather have mourned so that he who has done this would have been removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done such a thing. When you are assembled and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord." Your boasting is not a good thing. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch, as you really are unleavened. For our Paschal Lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral persons, not at all meaning the immoral of this world or the greedy and robbers or idolaters, since you would then need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister who is sexually immoral or greedy or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or robber. Do not even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with those judging those outside? Is it not those who are inside that you are to judge? God will judge those outside. Drive out the wicked from among you. When any of you has a grievance against another, do you dare take it to court before the unrighteous instead of taking it before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, and you are incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels, to say nothing of ordinary matters? If you have ordinary cases then, do you appoint as judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to decide between one believer and another, but a believer goes to court against a believer, and before unbelievers at that? In fact, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud and believers at that. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers, None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you used to be, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. 
All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is the gift of God's word. Let's pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I read this scripture out loud at our staff meeting this week on Wednesday, (laughs) and it felt like with each subsequent verse as we got through, the room got a little bit heavier and heavier a furrowed brow or two furrowed brows uh, on each face in the room. And I think even us in this space can feel there's, there's heaviness in this text, there's trouble. Paul has been speaking about disunity and unity in the church, and now we know he's brought this specific example forth of what's happening in the community, which is that a man is having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. Could be mother, could be mother-in-law, it's hard to know. But beyond just the troubling aspects of that particular situation, then there's even more troubling things we hear from Paul, which his recommendation is to excommunicate this person, to send them out, to kick them out of the church. But not just that person, every person that essentially has ever sinned. At least that's what it sounds like. One wonders who would be left if we took these words literally to some extent. Who would be left in the church? There is so much trouble in this text. And there's also other scriptures too, things that sound so strange, like send him out, hand him over to Satan so that his body will be destroyed, but that on the day of the coming of the Lord, his soul might be saved. These scriptures are not easy to read. We can be honest about that together, right? These scriptures are not easy to read. And when we begin to reflect in our own world, on issues that mirror what it is that's happening in the Corinthian church, uh, there's plenty of examples, too, that we can bring forth about issues of sexual immorality in the church context. It is, it is too easy to bring forth examples in our own imagination, I'm sure. And to some extent, there was a piece of me that didn't even want to offer up an example because it just felt too, it felt too, too much like I was going to add on to something that's already there to reinforce something. But... But I want to bring forth an example for us to consider together as a way of making our way through the scripture today. I've shared this in some other context, maybe in a sermon a while ago, but the church I was at previous to being here, it was outside of Seattle, Washington, and the church a year before I got there 
the youth group, had a, they had a good size youth group, lots of students would go and they would do a variety of things and uh, there was a 26 year old male in the youth group that formed a relationship with a 15 year old girl and in the context of that relationship they had, he committed statutory rape uh, repeatedly with this young woman. It was discovered sometime later on and police records showed that after they got back from a mission trip, they exchanged mobile cell phone numbers and they uh, texted like 10,000 times a month with each other. It came to light and that person went to jail. That young girl left the church, was filled with incredible shame and brokenness as a result of what happened to her. And she felt like she had nothing to do with the church anymore or youth group or a relationship with God. And the church itself struggled mightily to process what happened. They struggled mightily, which is partially why I ended up becoming that pastor, because they had to let some people go as a result of what took place. Um, it was really hard. It was one of the most difficult ministry settings I've ever been a part of, I've ever been into, and I walked into that setting uh, a year after that had taken place. It was so hard. It was so difficult. It was so difficult to be in a place like that. There are so many examples like that. I'm sure we can conjure them up, or we've been part of a situation in a church where this has taken place as well. Friends, what I hope you hear today as we look at 1 Corinthians is that Jesus constitutes and will show us what a healthy sexual ethic looks like. Jesus will show us and in following Jesus, we will discover together what it means to have a healthy sexual ethic as individuals, as couples, but more broadly as the church community as well. I hope that's what you hear today, okay? And as I've been processing this text and thinking about it, I, I've been wanting to try to bring forth a metaphor to help us think about this idea. And I have a metaphor. I hope it's helpful for you all today. It may not be so helpful, but it's very helpful for me. So if it's helpful for me, I'm hoping it's helpful for you. It's this, I was uh, mountain biking last week. I've become a big mountain biker, and I started this two years ago. This is my third summer of riding mountain bikes. And something they talk a lot about in mountain biking is an idea called line choice, line choice. So that if you're mountain biking, say you come to a part of the trail that's maybe as wide as the baptismal font is here to where the pulpit is here, and then you have to sort of discern where to go down what part of the trail. Maybe as you come to the trail, you see on this side by the baptismal font, there's these huge rocks, big boulders, six feet tall, maybe four feet wide, and a bunch of them. A big rock garden is right here on this part of the trail. Maybe in the middle, there's some old ancient oak roots. Have you ever seen those ancient oak roots that are huge and big, and they're, they're unearthed from the ground? Maybe there's a bunch of roots in the middle. But maybe over here, uh, there's just some compact dirt, some loose, some loose rocks, compact dirt. And so as you are learning to mountain bike and you come upon this situation, you have to sort of discern where to go. Which side are you going to go down? Are you going to go on the rocks, the roots? Are you going to go on this path over here? And what I've learned in the context of mountain biking is when it comes to choosing a good line, a good line, the best thing to do is to ride with somebody else who has more experience, who's done this a lot, knows the terrain, has experience with the mountain bike itself, and then you follow directly behind that person. You follow directly behind that person as you go downhill. So perhaps as you come to this scenario with the rocks, the roots, and the dirt, 
the person in front of you goes this way and you follow right behind them to avoid the travails of the rocks and the travails of the roots. I think this is a fascinating idea, following after somebody with more experience, someone who will show the right line choice to take. And you learn from that person. And I think if we could speak in such a way that Jesus would be on the mountain bike in front of us, friends. Jesus is the one who is on the mountain bike in front of us, showing us the best line choice to take as it pertains to a healthy sexual ethic. There's a modern phrase that we like to use a lot these days, or the young kids say, which is uh, in the context of having a conversation with somebody, you say things like, oh, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to do this. And they're like, yeah, 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 you, you do you. You go do you, and I'll go do me. Which is to say, in the modern world, we have this mindset of moral relativity. All things are okay to some extent. The rocks are fine, the roots are fine, the dirt's fine. It's all good. You do you, I'll do me. But I think the wisdom we hear in the scripture, in the midst of all the hard things that are there, which there's a lot of hard things that are there, no doubt, is when Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things are beneficial. So that when you come upon this scenario, certainly you could go into the rocks, that's fine, but you might crash and fall on your head and have a serious concussion. You might crash here, but this might be the exact right line choice. What is beneficial? Beneficial is determined in the context of following Jesus. Jesus will give us the line. So perhaps I'm naive even in thinking this, but I just, you know, there's that, that mindset of like, what would Jesus do? And I wonder, going back to that 26-year-old, Maybe not just asking that question, but asking, like, really, is this really where you're leading me, Jesus? Are you really leading me down this path? And you would have to imagine that Jesus' answer would be, no, this is not the path I'm leading you towards. This is not the path I'm leading you towards. So very simply asking that question in the context of bad, is this, is this bad? Is this good? Jesus, show me the right line. Show me the right line, Jesus. What is beneficial? All things are lawful but show me what is beneficial. When I think more broadly beyond just the individual concerns, but our communal concerns together as a community and how we experience this idea, um, sometimes I've ridden with a group of mountain bikers, so not just one or two, but maybe there's seven or eight of us on the trail together. And every once in a while, somebody in the trail of seven or eight mountain bikers, usually it's the third or fourth person, will find themselves over in the rock garden while everybody else is on the dirt path <laughs> and they crash and they're over here and they've done something. They, they did it. They went for the rock garden and it didn't go well and they find themselves crashed. And Paul's recommendation is essentially to excommunicate that person. But I find in my pastoral ministry and my experience with folks is that people do that to themselves. Like, if there has been immorality or misconduct, this text alone is filled with so much shame in it that it has a, had a ripple effect in our communal context and that people just take themselves out of community no matter what. I've seen that time and time again where they just feel like they're totally alone in what's happened to them and they extract themselves from the community and they're by themselves out there with nowhere to go. But the best example I've seen is that person who's in the front of the line, say it's Jesus, 
sees what's happened, stops and runs and goes over to the person who is hurt and who has fallen and wants to take care of them, wants to be with them in the midst of what just happened. I've seen this. I've actually seen somebody jump off of their bike and run to go help somebody who fell and crashed. And it was a really tender moment to see this person, and not just that person, but then everybody else comes over and goes, what has happened? What has happened? In chapter 5, Paul says, uh, Jesus is the Paschal Lamb. Jesus is the Paschal Lamb, which is a reference to uh, Exodus and the story where God brings a plague to the people of Egypt and he asks them to put blood on the front doors of their houses. And if they do this, God will pass over those houses and protect those houses, but doesn't protect the other houses. So Paul is talking about Jesus being like God in that manner, that God will pass over certain houses and to protect them. And the people should celebrate the festival of Passover with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, to let go of the evil and the malice that's present and to celebrate with sincerity and truth. And I think in the communal aspect, there's something powerful about going here and going, what is sincere and true in this and what just happened? And how can we bring restoration back to what took place? How can we heal you so that the community can get back to riding down the mountain together? How can we get back to doing that to which God has called us to do together in following Jesus? Not to excommunicate. I disagree with what Paul has to say here but let's go be present to what has happened in this place. Is there a possibility for redemption and reconciliation so that we can move together forward? I think Paul, well, I think Paul would want this. Paul would want this restoration. This is the unity I think Paul would want to have happen. One more insight to my metaphor. Hopefully this is going okay for you all. <clears throat> um, so I, I've ridden at Water Dog, Water Dog Park here in Belmont. This is my third summer riding at, at Water Dog. I love that park. It's really hard to ride out, though. It's pretty challenging. But my first summer there, there's a section where you come down some parts of the trail, and there's a huge six-by-six, 10-foot-long six, uh, beam in the middle of the trail. And if you're not careful, you, you hit that thing, and you go flying, and somebody could crash. It's really dangerous. And I was always aware of this. I was super nervous that I was going to hit this. And then the second year I rode, it had rained so much that dirt fell from the side of the hill and packed it in. So that last year and this year, when you're riding on that part of the trail, you can hardly even discern that there's a piece of wood in the middle of the trail there anymore. It's like it's totally gone. And this reminds me too that when it comes to line choice, our climate and our environment is changing around us rapidly so that our lines are not just a one-time thing that are determined. We don't just think of, what did we do a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago? But there's this constant need to ask this question of, Jesus, show me the right line. I say this because perhaps that would mean in our metaphor of rocks being here and roots being here, that perhaps this spot that may have been the not right line choice is now filled with dirt as a result of the shifting climate around us and maybe some of those rocks tumbled over here, but maybe now over here a trench has been formed as a result of erosion with water that's falling. And so there's a new line that might be the most beneficial way to come through here. The most beneficial way to come through here. This is the theological idea of reformed, always reforming, which we love as Presbyterians. We are reformed, always reforming as we follow Jesus. 
And when it comes to this scripture too, there's been tremendous amounts of change that have happened as a result of our learnings that have taken place from this scripture. There's a word in chapter six, and I wanna try to give an example of this shifting demographic and understanding of line choice. There's a word that says, it's called sodomites. It says you should excommunicate all of these people from the church if they are one of these things. And the church historically has understood that word to mean homosexuality. They've understood it to mean homosexuality. Some English translations translate it that way. Um, but as the shifting nature of academics and our understandings of the context of what's happening in the Corinthian church compared to our modern day realities has shifted the ground underneath us to some extent. So that as we approach this scripture, we don't agree with the fundamental way that we have been translating it 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Like the, the nature underneath us has changed. And as we follow Jesus, our lines have changed. So that persons, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that were wondering about what immoral is, they would talk about homosexuality being immoral. But it's clear now to me and to lots of other persons that as you study the grounds and as we follow Jesus, that an LGBTQ person is not an inherently immoral person, more so than anyone who is heterosexual. That's the changing nature of our realities. Reformed, always reforming as we follow Jesus to constitute what is beneficial so that any human in the context of a faithful, loving, committed relationship can actualize their sexuality. They can actualize it. This is a part of a healthy journey. This is part of a healthy journey. And if speaking of healthy matters, if something was healthy a year ago or two years ago in the context of relationship, it's never a problem to ask, hey, is this healthy? Is this the good? Is this what's beneficial in the context of our relationship? It was a year ago, it was two years ago, but is it still today? This is always a good question to ask. Bring theological understandings to our relationships. Reformed, always reforming as we follow Jesus. There's definitely troubles in this text, no doubt. Friends, there's troubles in this scripture, obviously. There's troubles in that world in Corinthians. There's troubles in our world too, no doubt. But there's real grace here too. This idea of all things lawful, but not all things beneficial is a helpful scripture for us in the context of following Jesus. It's always in the context of following Jesus. The scriptures themselves will not reveal to us what's right and wrong, but it is Jesus himself, the living God, the Paschal Lamb, that will form this reality for us as we follow Jesus down the path, as we follow Jesus down the path. One of the beautiful things about that scripture too, I still think, is that idea of sincerity and truth. When it came to that church and the work that I had to do outside of Seattle, Washington, it was really hard. It was really hard to do that work. But what we essentially ended up doing was bringing, bringing it out, like going and tending to it. All of us getting off of our mountain bikes and going to it and saying, with sincerity and truth, can we have a dialogue about what happened in the life of our church and what happened in the context of this youth ministry? And God's grace showed up in profound ways as a result of those conversations with each other, friends. The church did not have a sexual misconduct policy. The church did not do background checks on its youth workers. The church was missing a whole set of these really simple things that could be beneficial to the life of a congregation and a community. And it had not done these things. 
as a result of going and paying attention to the situation, they were able to form and create a more healthy model for the life of their community together. And it's much better today than it was 10 years ago, than it was five years ago. And thanks be to God for that, that hopefully no more children would ever be harmed in the way that they were harmed there. Of course, you can try to mitigate risk as much as possible, but I believe by God's grace, with the sincerity and truth brought forth, that God's knowledge of what will be beneficial, which is to not bring harm to children like that, is gonna be made manifest in that place. So friends, Jesus Christ, the living God, Paul says Jesus was dead, but he was raised to new life by God. And so are we gonna be raised to new life. We have a living God that we follow, friends, as individuals, in our own relationships, but also as a church community. And so we discern together as we follow Jesus, what's the right line choice? What is beneficial? And there is a beneficial, if that's my last word for you. There is a beneficial, there is a good. Jesus can help us frame and see a healthy sexual ethic. Let's pray together. God, for a difficult scripture, we hope, Lord, that you speak to us. We hope, Lord, that you spoke to us in this time. God, we are a community gathered following after your son, Jesus Christ, who is alive, who is seated at your right hand right now. But we know his presence and his power is in our midst. And so, God, if there's any hurting people in our congregation, God, we pray that Jesus would go tend to them and take care of them and be present to them, that we could bring a spirit of sincerity and truth to that and be blessed by whatever may come. And God, for those of us who find ourselves in a place where we find ourselves healthy, continue to guide us and give us a vision of where to go in our lives, God. For nothing is static in the beautiful journey of following Jesus, but it's forever dynamic. So Lord, continue to inspire and shape and form us into being the community you would want us to be, the people you would want us to be following after Jesus Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.